it's all about consistency. For us, it's about making sure the leads are coming in on a consistent basis. And the way that I can control that is sending out the mail. I send out 50,000 letters a month and it's like clockwork. And I know if I do that, sending out the mail in a consistent basis, everything else will take care of itself. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Pete Reese. Today, we're learning all about the land flipping business. We learn about Pete's experience coming from the real estate industry in 2002, having success there, but then leaving when times got tough and ultimately coming back after being successful in the travel blogging industry. Really interesting, really unique. But today we're digging into his most recent venture, land flipping. We learn about what land flipping means, where the value is added, how that all works, how they find deals, how they sell deals, how mineral rights work and gas rights work, because that thing comes up when you're buying property from people in certain areas. There might be natural gas under the land. Sometimes they want to retain gas rights. Well, what do you do about that? How do you handle that problem? Do you buy that property or not? So many other big questions about the land flipping business building teams. A lot of great answers in this one. If you'd like to learn about how to build wealth with land, this is the interview to listen to. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investments. To date, I've acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate deals. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. That's when we're helping you escape the Wall Street casino. Once again, our guest today is Pete Reese. We're learning all about the land flipping business. Let's go. Pete, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you invest in, where you're based out of, and just give us an introduction to who you are? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Taylor. I really appreciate it. I am based in Southern California. I live in a place called Del Mar, San Diego County. So right on the county closest to Mexico, actually. So we've got great weather year round. But what I do as an investor is my primary focus at this point is land flipping or land, short-term land holds. And so we're buying properties and we're holding them for a very short amount of time. And then we are reselling them. So that's kind of our, our main business model. I've been in real estate since this is about 2002 and kind of got my start investing, kind of flipping homes. So buying and selling homes, fixing them up and did that for, for quite some time until about 2007 when the market crashed and fell off a cliff. And at that point, you know, luckily before that, I'd gotten my broker's license in about 2006. And I thought, well, you know, might as well just put this license to use. So I decided to kind of focus on selling bank-owned properties, foreclosures. That's what was selling here at that point. So for a number of years, I that was my whole focus, just working for the bank, selling their foreclosure properties. Interesting business, not a great business in any way. There's a lot of issues in that business, but I was thankful because I was actually doing well in real estate at a time when 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 many people in real estate were 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 struggling for sure. And then through that, I got hooked up with a bunch of larger real estate investment companies that were buying these properties to either hold them long term or to flip them. 
So I was finding them deals. I knew what they were looking for and I, I knew how to get them the deals locked up. So I was just focusing on that for a number of years for some large companies. I got out of real estate investing kind of and real estate as a whole for a number of years, building a business with my wife about blogging and travel blogging and training people to, to do that. My wife had been a blogger for, since 2012. So she always had people asking her how to do it. So we built a whole company about around training for that. So that was a great time and a really cool adventure because we also got to do a ton of traveling. So we, we were doing traveling about 150 days out of the year on average to locations all over the world, really, as a result of that business. So that was about five years straight. And so, and then COVID kind of put an end to the traveling and the travel blogger training because we couldn't really promote that at that point. So, and I was like, really, I got the itch to kind of get back into the real estate game. And I knew I, I wanted to go from the investor side and I just didn't know what model I wanted to go with. And kind of doing a bunch of research online, stumbled into some people that were doing land flipping. And it sounded really appealing to me because I would see anecdotes of people saying, hey, I bought this property for 10000 and I sold it for 30000 And it was a 60-day hold time. And so I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. It's a, you know, triple my money in 60 days. <laughs> sounds great. Pretty good. I, I'd love to do that. So I kind of went all in, bought a training program on it, learned how the, the business model worked, and then just started, I dove all in on it and started doing the mailings, which is kind of how you generate your your leads in this business. And in, in March of 2021, we did our first land flip deal. Ended up 2021 doing about 1.2 million and some change in, in revenue and about 50% gross profit margin. So on average, we were able to take our properties, whatever we invested, say we bought a $20,000 property, we were able to double that you know, net after all commissions and closing costs. So 2022, we stepped it up a bunch from there, did about three and a half million in revenue and just shy of the 50% gross profit margin, but pretty close. And then 2023, looking to do 10 million. So, so that's how wow. I got here. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, so when folks hear the term flipping, you talk about land flipping, you mentioned about flipping houses. Yeah, they think about buying a kind of crappy house painting it, you know, doing all the things to it and, you know, fixing it up, selling it for more. But when you flip land, do you have that same ability to lipstick on a pig, fix it up and, and sell it off? Or, you know, what do you do to actually add that value so you can sell it for more later? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. The land flipping thing is there's, there's two components of it. First of all, it's about buying something that's, you know, land is not as liquid typically as an, of an asset as say a single family home, just because there's not as many financing options for the buyers, the end buyer. So it makes it not as liquid, not as, as active as a market. So what our pitch is to property owners is that we're the convenience option for them. We'll buy it cash. We'll qu close quickly. You don't have to go through an extensive marketing period and we'll buy it simply as is. So we buy these properties off market and we buy them for, you know, an aggressive price which allows us to then take that property and then resell it at a price slightly below market so we get a quick sale. Now, there's a number of value add things depending on the property and they're all different. You know, sometimes we will do some clearing, some some clearing of some paths on these properties. You know, some of these properties they have they're completely grown over and no one's even stepping on the property for 20 years except animals, I guess. <laughs> but so we'll clear paths just so a potential buyer could see what it is they'd actually be buying. We'll get a survey done sometimes. We'll get a perk test done so so the so the property could be buildable. 
will sometimes buy a larger property and split it up into smaller properties and then resell them off individually. So it really just depends on the property, but there's a number of different value add things that we can do. And we do those things sometimes and sometimes we just resell them as is. Great. Okay. So you live in California. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but what are the states, what are the regions where you're doing these deals? Mostly right now it's on the East Coast of the United States, which is funny because I'm all the way out here in the West Coast, but, and I've done some deals, West Coast deals and everything, but the East Coast is a really, it's just a region that we've, we've built some great contacts and, you know, it's just worked out pretty well for us. So kind of the way it works for us is when we kind of get a little bit of traction or get a deal in a particular area, then we try to build contacts of local agents and things that we can work with. And once we find some good people in that area, then we try to do more marketing to that area and really try to build that up as much as we can. So it seems like we've, we've just gotten a lot of momentum in those areas and just build them out from there. Great. Okay. So when you talk about buying a piece of property and then selling it for more within 60 days, which is great because you're making a nice multiple in that time. But you know, when we invest in, say, multifamily, one of the things we like about that is the passive income or the residual income, whatever you want to call it, that it generates because there are people in it, living in it, and you know, paying rents and all of that. Do you have any ability in the land flipping business to create those streams of passive income down the road? Or is it all just buy, resell in 60-day type of timeframes? Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, the majority of the business, at least from from this perspective that I mentioned to you, is about active income. You know, there's no, we get no benefits, no long-term capital gains or anything. It's like an active business of, of any type, really. But there are some real opportunities for passive investors to get involved in kind of the land flipping business. And how that works, I can just kind of explain it in the way that, you know, so for, on a single, like if you're going to be flipping houses, there's, you would generally get a hard money lender to lend you the money to, for the deal. And, and sometimes you get hard money to even lend you the money to rehab the deal. But you can't do that for land. There's no such thing as hard money lenders. There may be, but they're not, they're not widely available. <laughs> so what, hap what ends up happening is there's like a whole market that's kind of developed where investors are partnering with passive investors, basically. The passive investor will put their money up and and they actually buy the property. The deed goes in their name and then it's a they split the profits on on the deal. So it's 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 a passive thing from the investor standpoint because they don't have to find the deals or anything like that. They just have to kind of look at the deal and see if it makes sense. And if it does, they send the money to close the deal. And then the land investor that found the deal is responsible for the marketing and, and getting it sold and walking it through that whole process. And then at the end of the day, they split the profits. So it's a it's a kind of a win-win scenario. I mean, when you've got some some very large returns that are possible, you know, like if you're if you're selling a property and you're doubling your money in 60 days, that's a pretty substantial return for for both people, even if it was split in half. <laughs> so yeah, and there's land underlying it. We also touched on things like mineral rights and kind of the 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 things that are inherently on these parcels, especially you'd mentioned that you're doing some business in Pennsylvania because of you know my personal background, and most folks are going to be aware of kind of the gas boom in Pennsylvania in general. How do minimal rights, gas rights, that kind of a thing play into this business? Do they ever come up and how do you deal with them? Yeah, it definitely comes up, especially in certain regions like that where there's there's gas exploration and gas leases and everything happening. So, you know, it's each property is different. Sometimes you'll you'll buy a property and the seller will want to retain those gas or oil rights or mineral rights. And sometimes they'd be willing to sell it with those rights and 
you know, included. And you just have to kind of look at the deal both ways and and see if it makes sense. You know, we bought a property recently where we bought it, had a gas lease in place. So it actually generates income and there was nothing on the property and it was still developable. It was a commercial piece of property and, the, you know, there was no restrictions on building on it or anything like that. But in the meantime, you, while you were working on development plans, you could get that that ga- those gas royalties. And it wasn't much on that property. It was probably $100 a month, but at least something and obviously offset the property taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. When you say a, a situation where a seller might want to retain gas rights, that to me sounds like that deal would be then considerably less attractive in general to buy. What are your thoughts about that? Does that like severely hamper the marketability of a given piece of property? Yes. And in most cases, I wouldn't buy those properties. Now, unless it was super cheap and I know that I could then market it and at a super cheap price and and a buyer would certainly be interested if it's, if it's cheap enough. But, but in most cases, yeah, I, I, I'd kind of shy away from those properties. And, you know, you have other things, different regions have their different things, like some areas, timber is really big, you know, so people are using these, you know, rural properties just as timber investments, you know, they're every 20 years or so they, they cut down the trees and then it's, that's, that's their income from, then they replant them, you know, pine trees or something, and then they generate income that way. And I think there's a big opportunity going forward. In fact, I know there's a big opportunity going forward for the renewable energy side of things, developing these rural properties into solar farms, wind farms, depending on the area. So, you know, there, there's a big push to convert the electrical grid in the United States to renewable energy by 2035. And there's lots of tax incentives and, and things that go along with that. And you can take a piece of a rural land as, as long as it's located right and you can connect it. And, and if it can be connected to the grid, you can develop that property like like any other property, but you just hire an engineer that can set it up to, you know, support a solar farm and then you could either sell it or develop it, you know, or put the solar farm on there yourself and then just get the income from that. So, so there's a lot of opportunities in that space going forward. Okay. So it sounds like in that scenario, if you came across a a property that was well situated just based on its location, the way it was zoned or whatever, that it, it could be a solar farm big enough for it. You see the potential there that you would go personally, your business, you would go down the path of having the engineering done yourselves and you might sell it off once the engineering work is all done for a multiple, not necessarily build it yourself. Sounds like maybe that's the way you would go or how would you approach that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the opportunity. You know, these, these are pretty expensive to build out those solar farms and you can get financing for them. No problem. Once they get to that stage where it's an approved project. But there's a lot of institutional money specifically, you know, looking for these projects that are approved, they're ready to break ground on, and they'll pay, you know, a complete premium on on those ready to ready to go projects right now. So I think that's that's probably the biggest opportunity is to hire the engineering firm, you know, buy the piece of land, hire the engineering firm, wait out the time in order to get everything approved, and then resell it to a company like that that that's going to build it out. Has the so. deeper pockets. Okay. So yeah. this all makes me wonder how you approach building and scrubbing your marketing list so that you kind of know what you're going after or how much do you really scrub it? You know, are you just sending out, you know, so many mailers and seeing, you know, basically, you know, casting your line and seeing where you get a bite or are you really dialing it down and saying, hey, in this area, we think there's a lot, of, you know, these hundred opportunities potentially for solar farms. We're going to 
mail to those guys or is it a little more scattershot than that? Yeah, it's more of a shotgun approach <laughs> and see what comes back. So we're taking, you know, at this point, I'm sending out 50,000 letters a month. Whoa. 50, yeah, 50. And these are offers. So actual offers that we send out to, to property owners. So it's based off of averages, you know, average property values for a particular area. And yeah, so we, we do scrub the list somewhat. You know, we're kind of removing obvious sellers that we know that are not never going to sell to us, like owned by a city or the county or a railroad or, you know, certain sellers will just never sell to us. So we try to scrub out all those obvious ones like that. But other than that, we're pretty much just filtering by property type, acreage size, and that in a particular area and just sending out everything to that that particular area and then seeing what comes back. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so how do you how do you build teams around those goals and objectives, right? Because we all only have 24 hours in the day, 50,000 letters and 50,000 properties is an awful lot to look into and get a decently a high level idea. Would we be interested in this? And then heck, if everything goes well, you might have to field 50,000 phone calls, which yeah. I don't know if you have that time. So how do you no, handle the team building and time aspect? Yeah. I've at this point, I've built out a pretty decent sized team and I'm kind of building it for where I'm going with this business rather than where I'm at right now. I mean, I've got, at this point, I've got, well, first of all, we contract with a phone answering company that they basically answer the phones 24 hours a day and they take the information for the the person that calls in. And if they're an actual motivated seller ready to sell, then that lead then makes it to us, gets emailed to us. And then I've got an acquisition manager that will call them back, email them back, you know, try to work out a, a deal with that that person. I've also got a, a lead and due diligence manager that enters things into our CRM and does some basic research on each of these leads as they come in. I've got a property analyst that their job is to basically look deeply at all these leads that come in, determine the value that would make sense for us, and also review all the due diligence after we get under contract and make sure it is what we thought it was when we're buying it. Got a list manager that Pretty much most of his time is spent put, putting the list together in order to, to mail out. I've got another um, person that's a asset manager on our team that I just hired. And she her role is to manage the listings and also any value add type projects that we do. And then I've got a transaction manager and her job is to handle all the paperwork and the transaction on the purchases and also on the resales. Wow. So a number of different people. And I've got an executive assistant that kind of helps keep my whole team together and works on other projects as well. Awesome. Quite the team you have there. And so personally, my experience building a team has been that I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And there have been a lot of opportunities to learn lessons, both in terms of just having people you know, who work for me and giving them objectives, all that kind of a thing. And I would not be surprised if you would be willing to admit that you've made mistakes along the way. Oh, yes. And that's, I want to ask, what are some mistakes that you've made building your team? Yeah, I mean, I think moving forward, maybe with the the wrong candidate sometimes as far as building building team members. So I try to put a lot of a lot of effort now into really finding the right people. You know, maybe not just some, maybe not just the easy option of someone to hire someone that needs a needs a job or you know recommended by someone. I try to really, really put a lot of effort into making sure it's the right culture fit for our team. What company I'm trying to build and the attitude and work ethic and everything that that's involved with that. So, so just putting extra effort there. And then I've made some mistakes too, you know, kind of trying to work with a team member that deep down I knew they probably weren't the right fit, but I tried to, I kept them on too long thinking that, well, maybe we can make it work, but ultimately those never work out. So 
So those are the, the kind of big mistakes I've made. How much do you think about trying to find people who have experience in the land business or in the real estate business, for example, and they bring that knowledge? Is that important to you? Or do you think if I find the right person who's motivated, but doesn't necessarily know real estate, I'll train them on the real estate stuff or whatever the job mm -hmm. is. How do you strike that balance? Yeah, I guess it depends on the role that I'd be hiring for. You know, I do like for them, them to have some sort of experience in, in most of the role, in many of the roles that some, some real estate experience, it definitely helps. Some background with real estate, th that does help. But, but some roles, it, it, it's pretty easy to get them up to speed, you know, regardless of what their background is. So, okay. okay. As long as they have the right attitude and, you know, work ethic and everything. Yeah. Those things can, can make up for a lot, but it does help if folks show up and, you know, know a few things about the specific industry. So we find ourselves in interesting historical times with, you know, high inflation and also interest rates seemingly continually on the rise. How is that impacting the land flipping business, if at all? Is that making sellers maybe a little more desperate or is that making buyers maybe kind of dialed back a little bit? Has it been impacting the business? Yeah. So things aren't as, as hot as they were maybe six, nine, 12, you know, a year, a year ago, something like that. But, but they really haven't dropped off at all. You know, the, the one thing maybe I've noticed is that once we get a property under contract to be resold, they, they fall out more often than they did maybe a year ago, but no real adjustments in pricing. In fact, you know, I, I'm a, just kind of a big believer in, in the asset class itself because I feel like, especially in the inflationary environment that we're in, I mean, land is kind of the ultimate asset. And in theory, it should it should rise in price rather than, you know, correct like like single family homes were have been because, you know, they didn't shoot, you know, land is not, you know, many of these rural areas, the, the, the values of the properties have not shot up really like the single family homes in the cities and the suburbs. So they didn't rise as much. So likely they won't really have that downward pressure as well. So especially when you've got the upward pressure with the inflation, just my theory. But, you know, that's what I've seen so far, at least. There's been no, no, no price corrections at all. In fact, you know, things seem to be creeping, creeping higher and higher. Over Maybe time. just a little more slowly than they were before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you mentioned about purchase contracts falling through when you go to sell a property. Is there an overarching reason why that happens? Is it because of lenders? Is our buyers just kind of getting like freaked out and backing out? Like what's what's happening there? I think it's more of the latter. I think some people it's a, it's an emotional time when people buy a property or house or anything like that. And I think that sometimes that kind of stuff gets in their head, maybe family members or maybe things they see on TV or something like that gets in their head and I think in certain situations maybe maybe they do get a little 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 cautious. The, the financing thing, uh, most of the properties that we sell end up being cash. I know some of the, the cash probably comes from home equity lines of credit or, or you know, maybe a loan against their, another type of loan against their primary residence. But, but ultimately, when it comes to me, there's very few land loans that happen sometimes, but they're pretty rare, maybe 10% of the time. Hmm. Well, Interesting. Okay. So if someone listening out there wanted to get started in the land business on their own, where would you point them? I would definitely suggest checking out my website, which is turningprofit.com. Now, I don't have any training program or anything like that to sell, but every month I do a monthly income report on the site, which it basically breaks down every part of my business. You know, the revenue we took in, the, the profit we did, every single deal that we, we resold that month, like what we bought it for, what we sold it for, how many days we held it for, how much profit we made, notes on each one of those deals. So 
my idea is to give a lot more transparency to the the business model than there was available when I started. And yeah, so I think I think by seeing that and seeing what's possible, seeing what kind of deals are done, it gives you at least a feel for like, is this is this a business I could see myself doing? Does it align well with with what I do? And I'm also kind of building a community off of that as well. The links are on on that website. And it's a land flipping community, but it's kind of the the goal is to bring together both people that are interested in investing and also maybe those silent partners that maybe are just interested in in the passive side of things as well. So it's a community to hopefully bring those type of people together and offer as much training as I can along the way. You know, and it, like I said, I don't have any anything to sell, but maybe down the road if there's the uh, if there is the interest, then I'd probably do like a mentorship program or something, but nothing nothing available right now. Cool. All right. Great. Right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Pete, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best investment that I ever made other than my education, I would have to say, you know, I, my, one of my favorite ones is one that I just recently did. It, it was a roughly about a 40-acre property, and it was a rural area, and purchased it in just this past December, bought it for, I believe it was just over 50000 maybe 54000 something like that, and ended up putting it on the market. I, I knew it was a good deal when I bought it, but put it on the market for 149 and instantly got offers, multiple offers over asking price, ended up selling it for 175 didn't have to do any sort of value add to the property or anything like that. And I think total hold time ended up being three weeks. So <laughs> yeah, so I almost made a hundred grand just off of a $50,000 investment in, in about a three-week time period without really doing anything. So that was a good one. That's wild. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. Well, I think I think maybe the, the worst investment I ever made is more like, I haven't lost money on any of these deals, but the, the biggest mistake, I think, if, if I could go down that road would be the fact that I got out of investing in real estate exactly at the time when I should have like doubled down and gotten involved. Like when the market crashed in 2007, I should have been buying up everything in sight or found found a way to buy up everything in sight. And instead, I completely went the opposite direction and got out of real estate investing completely. So that cost me lots and lots of money because <laughs> I see everything that sold at that time. And it's like worth, you know, many multiples of what it sold for back then. But what are you going to do? Tough one. Tough one. Yeah. yeah. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Consistency. Yes. I think I think I see this a lot with with other investors and this is something that 
an area where they fall short, but it's it's one of my strengths. So I love to talk about this. Like it's all about consistency for us. It's about making sure the leads are coming in on a consistent basis. And the and the way that I can control that is sending out the mail. You know, so I'm I'm probably way overboard on this, but I send out fifty thousand letters a month, and it's like clockwork. First and first of the month, send out twenty five thousand letters. Fifteenth of the month, send out twenty five thousand letters. And I know if I do that. If I take care of that one thing, sending out the mail in a consistent basis, everything else will take care of itself. The deals will always be coming in. The revenue will always be growing. And, uh, you know, the, there there will never be these ups and downs like like in, in, in other businesses, you know, so. Good point. Good point. Well, Pete, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, best place is turningprofit.com. I've got links to all my social profiles and we've got a, a YouTube channel where we've put a lot of things on there and we've got a podcast. I just started with my wife about real estate investing as well. So love if you check that out, but all the links are on the website and yeah, check it out. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.